your faith life is a journey and Mm. it's okay to move and peek out of your own tradition and to worship with other people. And that gift was given to me by my own mother. Mm -hmm. She got to a place where she was like, you know, I know you love God. Now what you call him from, you know, year to year that may change, but I know that you are rooted in faith. And my mother has always also been able to see that my interest in faith or religion has also allow me to travel around the world, really, you know, to see lots of places, to study languages, to uh, meet people. And so she always, you know, she always was really supportive because she felt like a diverse faith path, which is a part of my broader education. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. Hello, Seekers. In this episode, I have the privilege of sharing with you a great conversation that I had with my friend, Nicole Anderson Cobb. Dr. Cobb is an amazing woman with a rich background as a researcher, a professor, an activist, a journalist, an award-winning playwright. She's a community volunteer and a wife and a mom. She's a staff writer for the online magazine Smile Politely, and she covers race relations and governance, gun violence, and economic disparities. Back in 2019, she started a series called When Faith Speaks, and that's where I got to meet her because she interviewed me. And this series explores the intersections of faith leaders and communities, politics, and society. And she had the opportunity last year during 2020 and COVID to reconnect with many of the faith leaders that she interviewed, talking with them about how their ministry and their community and their church had been affected by COVID and what they were doing to change. Nicole is a world traveler and a lifelong learner. She's currently part of the New Begin Fellowship Seminary program out in California that equips people to embody the way of Jesus, the call to peace, and the work of justice. I know that you will be as fascinated by everything that Nicole has to share as I was, and I invite you to listen in and dive into our conversation. Let's dive in. Hi, Nicole. I'm really excited to speak with you today. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Oh, you know, it's a day. There's a lot of stuff going on today, a lot of feelings, but I'm just super excited about our conversation. I am too. Yeah. It's been a while since we've talked with one another and doing some research and just digging and seeing some of your, the things that you've been engaged with lately. But tell me just kind of a nugget about what's been going on and maybe something interesting that's in your life that maybe other people don't know about. Well, okay. My nugget, let me think, something that people don't know about. Um, I don't think that people know that I am the daughter of Ponce de Leon. Oh, wow. Tell me more about that. 
I, I, I know that's a that's certainly an unknown thing, but my father, who was from Addisburg, Mississippi, came from a family who had these very unique names. He was named Ponce de Leon Anderson. And um, people could never in his town, his small, predominantly African-American town, could never pronounce his name. So they ended up calling him Punk. That was his name <laughs> for years and years. Because people were like, no, not, we don't do Ponce de Leon. We do Punk. So, but I always find that to be. I thought That's that really cool. And so how, how did you evade a unique name? My mother's fascination with the French. She studied French in college and, you know, always had, always wanted to go to France. And so she was some, the, her love of French and her watching soap operas and she just loved the name Nicole. So, <laughs> so there you go. That's an awesome story. I love that. Tell me a little bit about kind of your journey you know, you've been a writer, you've been a very educated person, you've uh, kind of really entwined your faith with the work that you've been doing. Talk a little bit about your spiritual journey and how that's evolved over your life. It's been interesting to kind of go back and to really think that through. I, and embrace it, you know, my, my spiritual path has been very diverse. You know, when I started life as a small child, my first exposure to formal religion was with the Lutheran church. It was around Holy Week. And I was just, a, a neighbor invited me to a Seder meal. And it was like this magical, there were candles and low lights and people were drinking wine, you know, so, <laughs> like we can keep doing this, but no, I really did have grape juice, but it was the, the kind of mystery of, you know, the time leading up that the time leading up to, Good Friday really drew me in as a kid. And then my mother was like, okay, I got to go see what's going on. Mm -hmm. She ended up coming in the church. And that was the church of, of my upbringing. But at the same time, I went to Catholic school. So Catholic school, all 12 years, went to four different Catholic schools because Catholic schools kind of changed. We're doing a lot, going through a lot of changes when I was a kid. So was at home, I, you know, worshiped as a Lutheran, was educated as a Catholic, when I got into college, I really began to, to, to seek more and to do more exploring. And by the end of college, I really ended up becoming interested in Islam and converted to Islam um, in 19, around 1994 and ended up converting in such a way that I pursued graduate study. I went to University of Chicago and studied Arabic. And then I came back to the University of Illinois um, and pursued a graduate degree in Islamic studies, focusing on Islamic West Africa. And then, you know, having lived in the Middle East and lived in Islamic West Africa, learned a lot about the kind of very diversity of the faith, came back and really began to, I think I began to begin to crave the faith of my childhood and the mm. crave of the familiar. There was a way in which practicing Islam just didn't resonate for me in the same way that it had. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of my graduate work, I had a PhD in Islamic studies, but was no longer pra a practitioner of Islam, but, but maintained a deep respect and appreciation for the faith, respect and love for the people who hosted me in their homes and fed me and, you know, really educated me and ministered to me in many ways during that time during graduate school. And then after graduate school, I began to, to teach and began to go back to church. And so I began to go to go back to Christian churches and my husband, uh, my, well, he was my boyfriend at the time, but became my husband was Baptist. So I really kind of revisited 
the church of his background and kind of move back and forth between the Baptist tradition and the non-denominational church. So that's where kind of I've been planted for these last years. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And having those different perspectives from that faith, those different faith communities and different and similar ways of looking at the world, it's no wonder that your faith journey has been so intertwined with some of your work. So talk about that, about how your spirituality has kind of intersected and influenced your academic career and your work as a writer and a journalist and a playwright? You know, it's a great question. I think that I've always, um, curiosity, I mean, I think curiosity and really learning about the history and experiences and traditions of communities, of my own community and other communities, I've always found faith as a way into that experience. And I also think it makes us better. I think being able to understand the lived experience of other people. And I think in all those ways, as an educator, it's made me more sensitive to and more respectful of the students I've had an opportunity to work with because I understand their faith tradition or I've lived in a part of the world where they're from. And I think it's also given some room, particularly in working with young adults, to to model for them that, that your faith life is a journey. And it's okay to move and peek out of your own tradition and to worship with other people. And, and, and that gift was given to me by my own mother. Mm-hmm. She got to a place where she was like, you know, I know you love God. Now what you call him from, you know, year to year, that may change. But I know that you are rooted in faith. And my mother has always also been able to see that my interest in faith or religion has also allow me to travel around the world, really, you know, to see lots of places, to study languages, to uh, meet people. And so she always, you know, she always was really supportive because she felt like a diverse faith path was just a part of my broader education. Mm -hmm. My father was always really, my father had been in the Navy and he really, he really, it was really important to him that I be a global citizen. Mm -hmm. So as a kid, we always traveled. I was an only child, so I always found myself, you know, in spaces, whether it was in, in America, on a bus trip across New England, or whether I was in Europe um, with my parents, you know, in England or in France. They really wanted me to, to embrace the world, to not be afraid of it, not to be afraid of language, and to really be a good citizen. Mm-hmm. Those two perspectives, one for my mother, who was an educator, and one for my father, who really valued travel they really inform my, my own personality and my own priorities. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting, all the things that you were just saying, because lately I've been using this metaphor of faith, kind of the faith that you grew up with is your native language. And I think that there's benefit in literal learning other languages, but also using language as a metaphor. And so if you can become multilingual with other faith traditions, it actually enriches you than if you're just only using your native language. And you're always going to feel very comfortable and very at ease speaking 
your native language, whatever you grew up in, but you can also be multilingual and be able to shift into the language and the thought and the structured reality of what that culture of that language is. So that's absolutely. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. That's a really great way to kind of think about faith as absolutely faith as another kind of language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always love when people talk about how in English, there's one word for snow and in like Inuit, which is the Eskimo language, there's like 20 words for snow because that's their experience. And so what other, like what's love in the English language versus other languages? What's, what's love in, in a Christian faith language versus a, a Islamic faith language versus a, a Judaic faith language versus a atheistic or agnostic faith language? What's, how do you define love? <laughs> through that lens of experience. So that's my deep thought for today. (laughs) Because a friend of mine, she's a pastor in Bethlehem and she's a Lutheran pastor, but she's pastors a small parish there. And so I've just been following her quite closely during the pandemic. And she's always posting pictures of the old city in Jerusalem. And, but just like she posted Christmas day, she posted a picture of herself driving to church and she had to have an armed escort to church and she kind of show people walking in the streets and there's nothing like seeing contemporary Bethlehem on Christmas Eve. You know? mm-hmm. The fact that she taken that journey meant that we could journey with her, you know, mm-hmm. and lockdowns and checkpoints and how COVID is impacting, you know, Christian community and the Muslim community, Jewish community there. And so, you know, it's another one of those examples of, of, the fact that you don't even have to leave your faith, but you can, you may, your faith may take you somewhere else. Mm-hmm. About a whole different way of understanding Christianity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Outside of your own kind of small lived experience. Yeah. Wow. So you've written a series called When Faith Speaks, where you talk with different faith leaders in in our community. How did that idea for that series come about? And kind of what what were you doing in your life? And where were you as a person and as a writer that inspired that idea? You know, I think that I was really, I had been writing for the magazine, kind of doing investigative kind of work. And but and I that's think, smile politely. Yes. Yeah. Politely. But I think I was, you know, as people of faith, there are times when when you you divorce your faith life from work, quote unquote. And I think I was really be developing more courage. I think I wanted to be someone who who wanted to be public. I wanted to come out in some way about my interest in issues of faith. And I also feel like, you know, people who, who work in the faith space or the space of belief are cool, are some of the most cool and interesting and fun. These are people with servant hearts. These are people who are interacting in our, who are really, who really undergird our community's health in ways that we don't always, we're not always mindful of. And so I really wanted to, I, I just became really, I feel convicted. The strength of the Holy Spirit I felt was moving 
And I just kind of pitched it to him. I was like, beyond the fact that I felt like these are really interesting people, but also that the climate in our country was really fraught. And I was like, how are faith leaders ministering during these moments of where the, in a country that can feel really polarized, how do you minister? How do you make sense of the moment? How do you make sense of the word, whatever holy text you're using to be able to, to soothe, to challenge, to motivate communities? And so I pitched it to Smile Politely and they were like, sure, let's see what happens. <laughs> you know, and that openness, you know, was so wonderful, you know, because it wasn't something that they had, you know, there was no opposition. It, there just hadn't been an opportunity to really, it hadn't been brought to them. Mm-hmm. So they were very receptive. And again, I, I was much like you, I had this list of some of my favorite people, mm-hmm. um, you being one of them who I included, <laughs> you know, people that I really wanted to hang out with and kind of, you know, some of it was about checking on friends, right? You know, just uh-huh. kind of being, you know, what's Pastor Fielder doing? What's Pastor, you know, what's Rabbi doing? And so it became a way to kind of, to get, to get more understanding of how people were working in their faith um, and ministering to other people. And so I think I did maybe seven or eight stories before COVID. And then when, you know, March, you know, 2020, when, when the world, you know, kind of came to a halt, I was like, I need to check on my people, mm-hmm. you know? And really think of, and really find out, you know, what does it mean to minister now? Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was, I was, um, I was taking hermeneutics. I was taking this course at Urbana Theological Seminary, which was a great course. But I also started taking a course on Christianity and race through the New Begin. Um, so I was kind of in. I was, I was studying Bible and and really kind of in that headspace anyway. But with COVID, I just said, well, I, I should go back and check on some of the folks who I interviewed just to see how their, their actual ministry and their notions of ministry to figure out what it means to minister during this time of pandemic. And so it, it gave me an opportunity to follow up and to loop back and revisit folks who I had spoken with. And then also, you know, talk to some people who I hadn't talked to before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of how that, that second half of the series Mm-hmm. And we'll link to some of your stories because you got to interview some really interesting people and it was neat to read about them. I mean, the chaplain at Carl, I mean, just really, there was such a, and I, again, there's so many amazing people doing work that you don't always think of that don't always come to mind, mm-hmm. but that'll be great mm-hmm. to those folks as well. Yeah. So what do you think that has been your biggest insight from doing that series, either before you before COVID or after COVID? What did you learn? I think I learned, well, you know, I learned any number of things, but particularly before COVID, I think I really, I learned a lot about the similarities in terms of whether you're you know, rabbi out on, you know, West Windsor or, you know, pastor of Grace Lutheran. I think I really learned that, that people of faith, you know, are, are, are caring for communities in, in ways that we don't always appreciate, 
you know, mm-hmm. I mean, whether they, I mean, many of them, they have, they're, they're taking care of people's needs on all levels, whether it's a food pantry or, you know, supplementing instruction for parents who may not be able to deal with this, you know, who need, who need support because they have to work during homework time. I think I learned a lot about how similar ministry is happening across denominations. Post-COVID, I think the thing that I was really left with is really thinking about what does it mean to, what does community mean when you can't physically gather? And what does it mean to be a faith community virtually? And what does it mean to be a faith leader virtually? I think those are the those are questions that I had a chance to really think through, but also continue to to interrogate for myself because I you know because and I'll, I'll I'll say that one of the things that I've found that has happened for me personally is that I have found myself called to be the church that I've been seeking. Yes, yes, and so I have found myself doing the things I should have been doing, right? Mm-hmm. I find myself checking on people, setting up Zoom meetings for family members who, you know, who are scattered across the country. Mm-hmm. I've never talked to my brothers-in-law as much as I have during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, setting up meetings with my daughter's play group. Like she has a group of little girls who they, you know, have known each other, you know, most of their lives. And so creating opportunities for them to check in and see one another, checking on grad school friends, checking on my own relatives and other places. And, and it, it's not always Zoom, but just sending a, a text to a cousin in Houston or checking on some family in North Carolina. I really have, I've been nourished by that outreach, but mm-hmm. also compelled because, compelled in ways I hadn't been mm-hmm. you know, before. And so, but I think again, it's because, I've had conversations with a, a small group of, of pretty close friends and we always stumble back into this conversation of how to be the church. Mm-hmm. You, know, we got, you know, we can fill this room with critique of what the church isn't doing, but we always make our way back to those fingers pointing back at ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's been the thing that has been stunning. You know, yes. Just how in some ways I feel like that is, a silver lining of this moment mm-hmm. that I have felt charged and challenged to make community. Mm-hmm. And those communities, they extend beyond my church community. You know, most of the people that I'm, I'm reaching out to, we don't worship in the same place, but somehow we end up coming into worship via technology. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, if worship means connecting, if worship means listening, if worship means praying, whether in that moment or later over something that you hear come up. So I think I've learned a lot about how to be, how to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Minister, you know, and to have that not have that, that weight and responsibility not rest on the pastor or mm-hmm. that mom or the rabbi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody else. And it really maybe gave us an opportunity to get out of our autopilot 
and check in the boxes of, you know, I just, I, I fulfill my duty by going to church on Sunday and I don't have time for all this other stuff. And we were given the gift of time, given the gift of space and removed from that autopilot checkbox and you're not the only person who has said to me I've really uh, connected with people much more than before you know myself I've I've written more letters and cards and notes this year than I ever have in the past and it's always something that I wanted to do and never made time for and yeah, I, I I hear you, and I really love that. You know, when when the Christian church was started, anyway, there really wasn't buildings, and it was community and supporting neighbors and gathering in people's houses, which we can't do. But you know, it was all about the relationship and serving, and not necessarily about a building. And I, I really love that. Maybe people have been connecting with that in a different way. Yeah. Particularly, you know, for, for friends or, or relatives who are single, or who, mm-hmm. you know, live alone or maybe empty nesters. I think I really felt a hard tug around, you know, checking on folks who, who may not see people very often. Mm-hmm. Yes. You kind of take for granted. I mean, this, you know, my kid is in, in you know, you take for granted the kind of noise that you can, you might exist within, but it really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And I know it's been helpful, you know, for my in-laws to know that they may not have seen the person, but to know that we're checking in every week or so or every other week. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law is like, well, I know you see them. So as long yeah. as you see them and can give a report or let me know how they're doing, it helps. Yeah. And maybe you've taken that burden off of them for a little bit too, because they were the only ones that were, uh, they had a little bit more over the time and now you you've... Yeah. shared that yeah. <laughs> oh. so you talked a little bit about your work with new new Bingen, and you're you're just clearly a lifelong learner who i've admired you know all your degrees and all your your things that you've taken in um, but what made you decide to go back to school again and why this particular program you know all the way on the other side of the country you know, it, it's so funny. I am, you know, mother of a nine-year-old, and I feel like this whole Common Core curriculum will allow, forces us all to be lifelong learners. <laughs> I got to stay at least a half a step behind her, you know, mm-hmm. so keeping her, you know, stimulated and interested, but also able to complete the homework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I proudly wear the badge of a lifelong learner. And, but I, you know, it's funny, I didn't, just like when I went back for journalism, it was a year to kind of explore stories and topics that I wanted to study. I didn't even realize I was going to get another master's degree at the end of it. <laughs> I, so I like, master's degree, what? So I kind of, I don't always intend to get another degree. They just, kind of, <laughs> just happens. <laughs> with new, I mean, I took... I took this class on race and Christianity with New Beginning. It was an online class, kind of showed up in my Facebook feed one day, and I was like, what are they doing? And I took the class, you know, it was, a, I think it was an eight-week course. It was challenging. It was aggravating. It was um, 
you know, it was just, it was, it got on my nerves. You know, it was just, <laughs> but it was beneficial. And so I, when that course got over, I was like, okay, I'm done with that. But that still small voice, I remember, you know, the end, the last day of class, you know, Professor Choi talked about the fact that, you know, you should, should all think about doing the fellowship. It's a year-long fellowship, an opportunity to dive deep, you know, be in community, read texts. And I was like, oh, okay. And, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know who he talked to. But, um, and I went on with my summer, you know, because I had taken two, cor- two seminary courses and was like, I'm done. And that, there was like a gnawing. You know, the the course ended in, I think it was May. And I was like, mm, I'm glad that's over. And then June came and I was like, mm, I'm glad that's over. And it, it wouldn't let me know. And I, I just got, I had this sense that it was something I should at least look into. And, you know, I reached out to the director and he was like, come on, it'll be fine. And so... You know, he invited me to apply and I applied and it started in August. And I have to say, I was going to say this to you when we were having a conversation about, about church outreach. I have to say that part of the appeal of New Begin is it was a year of focused and deeper study. And what I'll say about my own relationship, I'm, I'm affiliated with multiple churches locally. But I have to, I want to be frank with you and say that I haven't heard from many churches during this moment. And when I talk to people that I talk to, I know a lot of people that haven't heard from the quote unquote church. And I know that churches are inundated with requests, with needs, with, you know, people having all kinds of medical needs and food needs and support. But I have to say, I even offered, I was affiliated with a church and right at the beginning of the pandemic, I said, you know, do you all need someone to call people who may be, you know, shut in or to find out what the needs are? And the woman said to me, she said, I'll get back to you. And it's nearly March again and I haven't heard. Mm-hmm. And so, and like I said, I'm not, I, I'm not alone. I've heard other people say that they haven't received a card or a call, or any kind of, no one's checking, no one from the church is checking Mm -hmm. on them. And so I was, I felt like, I felt like thinking about issues of faith in community was the best substitute for the thing I wasn't experiencing. Mm -hmm. Nobody was really concerned about whether or not I was I was studying the word in community during this time. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I, I say that because that's, that's the reality. You know, as someone who's lived in this community, you know, been in and out of this community since 1989, I feel like I can say that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to call anybody to task. But what I am saying is that part of that absence drove me to think again about who is my faith community? And who is inviting me into deeper conversation? And who does want me to grow spiritually? And it was that professor and also professors at Urbana Theological Seminary. It was seminary professors Hmm. who were concerned about my soul care, not the church. 
Mm-hmm. So that really kind of pushed me into into the making the decision that, well, if we're gonna hang out, we're gonna hang out. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about New Begin is that the way the New Begin program is set up, it started out, you had um, a course, you have a, a course with your cohort, there are multiple cohorts. There's a pastoral cohort, an academic cohort, and then an open laity cohort. So I'm in laity cohort. We started out meeting once a month with your cohort, you have a webinar to kind of discuss the book you're reading that month with the author. And then you have a fireside tra- chat at the end of the month to kind of process what it is you're learning. As of now, we are meeting 13 times a month. 13 Even- times? Wow. I'm so hungry to meet. Wow. Monday small group. We added a weekly Wednesday small group. Then, you know, there continue to be the... the the, the group, like there's a, a major meeting like every month of 139 of us because they're 139 fellows. But people's enthusiasm to, uh-huh. meet, to connect, you know, people are starting to create breakout groups for various kinds of interests. So I was like, y'all, but... <laughs> There's a hunger for it. There's a hunger for true conversation and connection and dialogue and exploring and being challenged. And it's, it just sounds like people are hungry for that. And people have, I mean, these are people who are in, I mean, I I don't know how many different states at this, like I said, there are 139 fellows across every time zone we have several like one of my colleagues is in berlin so he's up at night when we're meeting you know our professor is on pacific time because he's in in um, san francisco Mm. but we are you know dug in Mm -hmm. you know there's always you know there's a there are assignments where everybody's reading and posting you know their feedback and thoughts about the readings but then you know people may pose ask for prayer for something going on in their lives or you know you can send messages back and forth, private messages. So it is a vibrant, vibrant, mm. vibrant community. We met yesterday, you know, and there's been a whole lot of churn, you know, given, you know, this moment. But, but you know, I wasn't even sure we were going to meet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Monday, Peter was like, okay, everybody, I'll see you on Wednesday. So barely out of New Year's, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an amazing, it's amazing, challenging space and habit. And, you know, again, the other thing I knew was that heading into the elections, headed into the presidential election, I knew that I was going to need some grounding. Yes. Mm-hmm. I knew that regardless of the outcome, I wanted to be rooted in um, a posture of prayer mm-hmm. to keep my heart right, to keep my attitude right. I ended up doing a lot of work, you know, in terms of voter mobilization and stuff. And so it was really important that I kind of maintain openness. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it was really helpful. You know, I ended up working on a, a voter hotline and I talked to people from all across the country, you know, calling about, you know, needing to get there, trying to get ballots in Maricopa County, Arizona, people in Pennsylvania calling, trying to figure out why their polling place wasn't open. and. People were calling of every party and no affiliation at all. Wow. Being able to have the kind of open heartedness and understanding these are my neighbors. Yes. 
it was such a beautiful experience. You know, wow. Across to a young woman in Louisiana who had been flooded out of her house because of a hurricane. And she was trying to figure out where to vote. Wow. First of all, you are 20 years old. You have been flooded out because of a hurricane and you trying to vote. Can I just embrace you there? Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Trying to figure out, okay, does she vote at her old polling location? Mm-hmm. Vote in the place where they're now staying? And Oh, my goodness. I learned so much about America. And I was wow. so heartened and encouraged by the opportunity to, to help, to serve, to answer questions, to look up a phone number or to talk with a, you know, talk with someone who was trying to get PPE for election officials and wanted to know where, where they could find out, where they could find that information. So it was just, it was ministry. I grew so much in terms of my, my understanding of how hard fought voting can be for people. But I really think that kind of having you know, that new begin grounding or being grounded in thinking about community and being neighbors. Who is my neighbor? Mm-hmm. So um, it gave me that faith, you know, gave me a faith perspective that was being applied in every call. Yeah, yeah immediately. And what great experience of applying, not just having an intellectual exercise of learning something or getting a new perspective, but really applying it through action and service and and communication with other humans. I think that's, that's part of it because I think all of those ideas that we learn through whatever faith that we're in, there's some core principles about loving and about neighborliness and and that's not easy. And so it's it's fine if we take that in and we keep it in our heads and we hold it up and put it on a pedestal as an ideal that we should be aspiring to live. But then it's another thing when you have to put boots on the ground and you actually have to start talking and helping and serving people, some of whom you may or may not agree with. And how does love show up in those situations? How does those ideals that we learn in our heads show up in our hearts and our actions? And that's, that's really beautiful. I've never been prouder, you know, of, you know, how many, how hard people were working and people were trying to overcome, you know, overcoming physical barriers, overcoming language barriers. Mm-hmm be a part of that and also to represent the midwest i mean there were i have to say that on a lot of the calls there weren't there weren't a lot of midwesterners Mm -hmm. people from you know people there may may have been folks from chicago who were on the hotline Mm -hmm. people who were answering calls were on the east coast so you know and i was able to say i'm nicole from central illinois (laughs) (laughs) yes how can i help you Now, I was up at 4 a.m., but. <laughs> I think there was a lot of people up at 4 a.m. on on during the elections. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like those late night, lots of interesting things have been happening in the early hours of the morning, haven't they? Indeed. <laughs> I was just like, why are you up setting up a call center in the kitchen? At, you know, because it was 2.45 on election day. Oh, goodness. Just let me do this. He was like, yeah. Your hours. He was like, I'm the night owl. <laughs> it's only one. It's a it's a once in a lifetime experience, right? 
Hmm. Talk about some of the things that you might have been challenged and things that you've learned in this program. You mentioned that first course on Christianity and race and how some of it you were like, oh, that's a, that's a little bit hard for me to wrap my head around some of these things. What have you learned that has been challenging or new? We started out, we had summer reading. That was the other thing. Even before <laughs> the program began, we had summer reading. So we had to start out reading Howard Thurman. And you know how you hear those names? You hear names of, you know, folks who you always meant to get around to reading, but you never did. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I get to read Howard Thurman this summer. But just Howard Thurman's text, kind of thinking about thinking about Jesus as a Palestinian Jew living under colonial occupation. Like, there is a way that we, like, we, we know that Mary and Joseph were called back to their home community because of a census. But there is a way that to think about what does it mean to live under colonial occupation? What does it mean to, to take life and limb in hand to go visit your cousin who is also pregnant under colonial occupation? Like there, I think that I've been, I've been thinking a lot about the political context of Jesus's ministry, which I, which I, I've never thought a lot about, you know, we've always kind of, I've always had the opportunity to think about the parables and think about how, you know, to think about what Jesus is doing, but this, this course and some of the reading has helped me to really think about what Jesus was up against Mm -hmm. in terms of his own within his own community, mm-hmm. within empire, what he was doing around gender and class and how dicey those decisions were. So mm-hmm. that is one of the things is really thinking about, thinking about the historical church. Also thinking about, thinking about when What's the title? There's a great title of a um, a text called "When Christians Were Jews." Oh wow! And really thinking about what it meant, like this moment from you know, kind of the upper room to the creation of a new faith community. And I am kind of transfixed in this space of thinking about. What is Jewish and what becomes Christian? And so that has really, it's it's spawned a lot of thought. And I will say, I have to give some credit to a couple of other references. Peter Inns, you may ask this. Oh, I love Peter Inns. There is Peter Inns. He was the the second person we read. Oh, he's amazing. He's sassy. Exactly. (laughs) we we read um oh why can't i see all because the bible tells you so tells me so is that the is it a yellow book yes Mm -hmm. and we have that here in the soul care library oh okay good Uh so we we read that and then he came and did a webinar for us you know that was the second webinar we had and so really kind of then going to 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 spend some time and it was over the holidays i just started going to the bible for normal people podcast Mm -hmm. yep 
my mind blown mm-hmm. by the speakers and the thinking in that space. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you the other thing that has been mind blowing to me, Patrick Otuma. Ugh. He's doing a year long. He's doing a year long poetry in residence with at the Church of Heavenly Rest in New York. Oh wow. So he started in September. He's been doing a study of looking at the book of Luke. Mm-hmm. Started out in Luke and really kind of used Luke. Then he did this, this Saturday four-hour retreat on Mary. Kind of wow. about the life of Mary and kind of using poetry from you know Afro-Jamaican poets to uh, Palestinian poets. They're really thinking about how all these poets that he wanted to lift up for us have have written about Mary and to think about to kind of expand our thinking about how Mary is represented in our kind of collective imagination so that was a four-hour workshop mm-hmm. he, did, he preached in December and then, oh, he did a small group <laughs> with people who you could that you could sign up for one small group he did a small group on leadership so I went to that and had a chance to talk with him and answer questions then he did he preached in December on the book of Luke and looked at the, the the birth of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, and then he has a bunch of programming that he's going to be doing at the Church of Heavenly Rest this spring. Hmm. He's in Ireland. He's sitting in a beautiful yeah. cottage in Ireland wearing us out. Uh-huh. He's brilliant. I have to say, Patrick Otuma has become kind of like my unofficial pastor. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because of the richness, because he because of what he challenges you to do in terms of diving into the word. Mm-hmm. Um, imagining, really thinking about context, going, doing a really close and thorough reading of the word, thinking about language, thinking about various kinds of biblical translations, thinking about the politics, thinking about mm-hmm. the politics in the text. And so that's, that's kind of been, you know, my jam for lack of a better word, you know, is really thinking about, thinking about the history, mm-hmm. thinking about the historical circumstances of the Christ and what that has to, to, how that can be useful for us in our current understanding. And also just to, you know, it's so interesting to have come through this Christmas season and to try to figure out how to explain Christmas to my daughter, you know, and to, you know, to deal with Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, winter solstice, you know, trying to create room in her mind for different kinds of faith traditions. Mm-hmm. I ordered a menorah for myself, you know, just mm-hmm. it was, I didn't get in coming time. So I'm going to have to. <laughs> well, there's always next year. Well, that's right. And I will have figured things out. But uh-huh. in terms of really, you know, she was so, my daughter was so focused on, I get up and I open this present. And I just had to really sit with her and have a conversation about what it meant to have to leave your home community, to travel to another community, to give birth away from family. And I really, I, I just had to drag her, you know, into the manger almost. Mm-hmm. Be able to get her away from thinking about consumer, thinking about shopping and gifts and presents and who deserves and who doesn't deserve. Mm-hmm. Out of that, we turned off the TV. She and I had a two and a half hour conversation. Wow. Just about repurposing our minds and hearts about Christmas, what Christmas should mean, how we should be stricken with awe and with 
reverence for what this couple was charged to do, what they had to do together, the obstacles they encountered. And so, and then, you know, we had, we ended up having a conversation about, you know, COVID and, you know, we've had some family losses and it provided great opening to talk about what gifts we've been given in this moment and what we're grateful for. Mm-hmm. But um, it's spilling over everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. it's spilling over everywhere in terms of figuring out how to, how to apply it, how to make it practical, how to help it keep our hearts sensitive to other people, how to get away from the materialism, mm-hmm. really focus on how can we help, how can we serve, how can we be sensitive? Who needs us? What what might we do? Can we mm-hmm. send a card? Can we drop off a care package? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, that's kind of what grounding myself in the historical Christ and the historical church and the early church yeah. is really what the fellowship has done. But also, you know, questioning we're reading this text, you know, currently, but dealing with our own understanding, understandings of privilege and mm-hmm. of wealth and of consumerism and mm-hmm. of, race, you know, race and race relations. So mm-hmm. it's, it's challenging. It's challenging every month. It's challenging all the time in new ways. Mm-hmm. You know, we, have to cons- we always have to consider how we're privileged because we all have privilege and don't have privilege. Right. You know, depending on, on the context. Right. Right. So, um, so those are some of the ways I've gotten pushed. No, I think that's fabulous. What just popped in my head, which is interesting. So I almost feel like the church and the faith that kind of we all learn about as children is very similar. So you you have a a daughter, I'm sure you've had these toys where they come in like these little pills and then you put them in the water and they expand into shapes. And so that's, that's the image that just popped in my head is that, you know, as children, we're given this thing that is very small and tightly packaged and we think it's one thing but when we allow it to be exposed to the light or to or to water <laughs> it can really grow and become much more complex and rich and invite us into a different way of looking at our lives and our communities and what we take for granted and what the norms are and, and really start pushing against some of those things. And then there's a whole bunch of other learning on how to, how to do that in a loving and compassionate and kind way too, and not just to rail against the things that we're seeing that are maybe unjust. So that's, what's interesting about your question. I had to go all the way to California, right? In, you know, in a manner of speaking to, to be able to do that work locally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I think that the, the fellowship was not set up to be virtual. It was. Wow. Like, you know, we were supposed, you're supposed to, when it was, when, I mean, they've had this fellowship for some time and there were several times a year when you were supposed to get together with your cohort, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they've been pretty nimble and figuring out how to do all this stuff online. And it has really, I mean, it's, it's been tremendous. I mean, they haven't been any technological glitches and. Right. Um, you know, there's great participation and it, I think it's just really served people 
so broadly and so profoundly, right. even remotely. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring soul care to our community, because I think there's a lot of people who want to learn and, and dialogue and explore and question and, and have these conversations on much more of a local level. So you don't have to go to California or North Carolina or any other state. We can do this in our backyard. So that's, I'm really excited about what soul care can bring to our community along those lines. So you've, you've mentioned a bunch of books and, and, I'll, um, and authors, and so I'll definitely link to them. But is there any other kind of book or resource or person that comes to mind that has opened up a new way of thinking or practicing spirituality for you? Like I said, I've, I've loved reading about the history of Black theology. That's been really helpful with James Cone. Really a great thinker, you know, kind of can be a little eddy around German philosophy and all that stuff, but has been really thoughtful in terms of thinking about how African-Americans became Christian. Um, and so, and thinking about the, the, the theology that African-Americans created for themselves has been really helpful. Um, there's another professor, Frank Thomas, who's at Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis. He does an African-American preaching series that's on YouTube that is phenomenal. I've watched everything and I'm chomping at the bit for more. Mm. Um, he has probably a series of about 20 lectures, really, really wonderful um, lectures. Uh, I mentioned Otuma, I mentioned the, I would say, you talk, we talked about the Bible for normal people. I also like the Bible project. Mm -hmm. the Bible project, in terms of its, you know, they do you know, a lot of this video work and creating, you know, kind of digestible videos and pretty committed, you know, they're in the middle of this year long Bible study as well. And so I think that particularly for kids, my daughter loves, you know, their videos and um, it's a way to get her to, to really think about the Bible visually. Um, so I, I like the Bible project a lot. Uh, and I have to say my, I have to share this yoga with Adrian. Oh, yeah. Well, another, you know, kind of, but, but yoga with Adrian has really, I mean, you know, she's become like the guru of the pandemic, they say. Uh huh. But that has really kind of, with all that was said, that's gotten me out of my head mm -hmm. and my body. Mm -hmm. Which is so huge in terms of getting um, me having to deal with my body and all of my hang ups and insecurities and past issues and, but to force myself to get on that get on that mat, and to to deal, mm -hmm. get in the way, move it out the way, you know. Yeah, <laughs> uh huh. Day, you may get it the next day. Uh huh. And um, you know, like you're doing this 30 day series right now called Breath. I encourage all of us, given this moment, we all need to breathe. And I think that that's been a really helpful series for me, just to to be to make the mind-body connection really real mm -hmm. and to learn about my body's abilities and limitations and to really, and self-love, mm -hmm. you know, really be in a place to, to decide that me first. Yep. Nobody mm -hmm. else can do it for me. And I've gotten less precious. I got to do it at this time. I got to <laughs> do it in this outfit. And I, no. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. 
got your back on every floor at this point. It's like, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, but I need to get the yoga done. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think those are, are really my, um, those are the things that are keeping me. Awesome. Not endless assignment. No, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the new beginning assignments are pretty um, substantial every mm-hmm. month as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you could sum up your spirituality right now in one or two sentences, what would it be? Hmm. I don't even have one or two sentences. I just have three words. That is unapologetically expanding faith. Hmm. That, that's the best. Um, that's where I am. And it's a important because for so long I've been nervous about my faith life. I've felt apologetic. I've been, you know, I, I was talking to a woman one time and, and I was explaining to her, she was asking what church I went to. And I told her, you know, I explained to her that I was affiliated with this. And she was like, well, when you get through church hopping, you know, you can come visit me. And I remember it to this day because I found it so painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that kind of shaming, you know, they're kind of shaming people because they have a relationship or an affinity or an openness to more than one um, worship space is something I've grappled with for a long time. And so I, I'm grateful to be at a place where I've stopped apologizing. I don't apologize anymore. I am gloriously and gratefully where I am. And um, my faith is ever expanding. I love that. I love that. And thank you for sharing that because I think I think a lot of people are in that space of desiring more, but feeling held back or feeling like it's wrong to question or search or seek or 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 being afraid about what they might find and how they might make them change. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I I appreciate that about you. I mean, that's one of the things that in in an earlier conversation, you know, we just talked about, you were just like, you know, kindred in that, you know, mm -hmm. understanding how spectacular and diverse and, you know, that our faith is a tapestry. You know, it gets to be that and it gets to be made up of all kind of streams of contribution. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated the relationship with you because you really gave me some strength in that area. Good. Thank you. Thank you. And for me, I feel like I've never been more connected to God in my whole life. So I don't even know how I I would have gotten through the past year and all the things that have happened if if I didn't have the spirituality that I have right now. So yeah. It's, it's given me a lot of strength and a lot, a lot of gifts, including wonderful people that I can connect with. So I really appreciate this conversation, Nicole. Is there anything that you want to, you know, connect with or, or share with people or, or anything about, I'll definitely share some of the articles that you've written, but um, anything else that you want to promote, I guess? You know, it's so interesting. I'm tip- I'm typically in a space where I have something coming up or something that's coming out and I am gloriously not promoting anything right now. You know, I'm just kind of taking care of my walk and really doing, you know, some interior work and 
you know, I know there are things on the horizon, but right now I'm just really kind of taking care of, you know, the five feet around me and the people therein. So Mm -hmm. I'm not, I mean, I'm grateful to be part of this conversation and, you know, if people want to get in touch with me, I can Samaritan road at gmail.com. I can send you that. That is um, the, it's just, it's an email address, but I'm not, I'm in a little bit doing a little bit of retooling and trying to figure out, you know, what I want a website or something like that to look like, but, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, promoting or advancing anything right now, which feels kind of nice. Yeah. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. You always hear people say, you know, say, make room and say no to things so that you can say yes to other things, but that's great for you to be modeling that. So thank you. Yeah, I was trying to come up with something. But I think that's what this moment is about. I feel like I've spent a decade pushing and auditioning and, you know, trying to, to you know, get picked. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, right now I'm just, I'm not in, I'm not in that space. Yeah. You know, I think I'm just trying to, you know, cultivate this moment, you know, appreciate the moment and really um, there's always a what next, but, but it's nice. It's nice not to, to be anxious about um, what I'm doing or not doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, on that note, thank you so much. This has been just a, a lovely conversation as always. I could talk with you forever And you're definitely a kindred soul and kindred spirit. And I just love having just these deep heart-centered conversations with you. Thank you for sharing and being open and vulnerable and and just putting it out there. So I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Everything is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation. Or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table, and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.